Hello, welcome. Thanks for dropping into Time in the Studio. This is a space for helping you nurture yourself, your creativity, and the planet. Ooh-wee! You are going to love this episode. I got to chat with fellow podcaster and birth worker Amanda Gorman about how to blow up on TikTok, create courses, find your village, and fight for reproductive justice. This episode is full of so much information and inspiration. So grab a pen. Oh, and if you're new here, I'm Sarah Marie Miller. I'm an artist, herbalist, and postpartum doula living on the land of the Arapaho, Ute, and Cheyenne nations, also known as Boulder, Colorado. So much gratitude for this land and the people who came before. I'm also thankful to you for being here and for my recent students. I've been teaching a bunch of workshops lately, often around digestive health, making magic medicines, the science of sleep, prepping for postpartum, and botanical illustration. My most recent class on kitchen herbalism was so much fun, and all the attendants wanted to be able to spend more time together and learn more. And It got me fired up to create a course for you on how to make food your medicine, teach you how to make your own teas, tinctures, herbal honeys, vinegars, salts, syrups, and how to use flower essences for mindset transformations. I am planning to start with a five-week course starting at the end of September, and this first Founders Round will have a bunch of one-time only bonuses. So you can join the waitlist on my website at www.adazia.com and I'm going to have a link in the show notes as well. You do not want to miss this opportunity. It's going to be such a blast and you're going to learn a ton. So let's get into this episode. Amanda Gorman is a wife, mother of two, and certified birthing from within mentor and the creator of Finding Your Village. It's a podcast, blog, website, and really rich resource. She's passionate about her family, birth work, music, addiction and trauma recovery, and social justice. Amanda creates online content in the form of courses, videos, and podcast episodes that focus on birth, postpartum, and parent mental health with the goal of helping parents find their village. She loves to use the skills she has developed through creating her own content to help other birth workers develop their content and market their services to support families. You definitely want to follow her on Instagram and TikTok and follow her podcast because it has so many great rich episodes. That's Finding Your Village. Okay, let's get into it. Cha-cha-cha. Amanda Gorman, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for being willing to chat and to share about your work. Uh, Do you want to begin a little bit with where you're at and how you describe your work? Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm very happy to be here chatting with you today. And where I am, I'm just outside Atlanta, Georgia, and I am a childbirth educator. I'm also a content creator. And so that means that I both work with parents and help them prepare for birth and postpartum, but I also create content to reach a wider net of parents and people and birth workers as well to just really talk about and inform and inspire about everything related to birth, postpartum, and parent mental health. I love that. That's so important. And it's interesting how those two things maybe could be perceived as very different, but I see a lot of times in the birth world, there is such a connection with creativity and expressing yourself and sharing information and education. So I, I see so many threads of why your work just makes so much sense. Thank you. So I, I got to meet you through, we're both in a course with, through Witten Wire about creating courses. So you've already created a, a couple courses. Yes. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because I know you have one sure. for kind of more for parents and then one for more birth professionals. And I love yeah. both of them look fantastic. Thank you. So I have a postpartum course for parents and I surprise just finished my third course, which is a a birth course. So now I have two courses for parents, a postpartum course and a birth course. And then I also have a course specifically for 
birth workers and people that work in like the parenting space that are supportive resources to parents. So think like lactation consultants, postpartum doulas, sleeve consultants, anybody that's a professional that works with parents. I have created a marketing course specifically all about how to market on TikTok and through Instagram reels. So it's really all about like leveraging short form video because that's what I have found in my experience of I'm only one person. I'm a mom of two little kids myself, and I love to work with parents, but it's really hard to get the word out there. I don't have an expensive marketing budget. I tried a whole bunch of things and found that TikTok and Instagram Reels gave me the most bang for my buck as far as like putting in time and effort to say, hey, this is what I'm doing. I love talking about it. If you need this, hit me up kind of a thing. So those are all the courses and They seemed, like you said before, a little bit disparate, but I have actually found also, like you said, that there's a lot of common threads Mm -hmm. with the two. So it's fun. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I would love to know like what, what you see, like a couple points of overlap. If if there's anything there you want to share. Sure. What I have found is the work that I did when I was pregnant, preparing for birth There were a lot of common threads with that that obviously got me interested in being a birth worker myself. There's a lot of common things that I saw with starting my own business. Mm. And it was very meta because it was my business around birth, but just really like diving into the like Mm. birth and having a newborn is all about the unknown. You have no idea what it's going to take to give birth to your baby. You have no idea what the postpartum period is going to be like. And yet you find yourself just taking the next right step. And then the next right step. And even without having like a clear idea of exactly what that night of sleep is going to bring, for example, you just keep going forward. Same thing with being a new business owner and like starting this new venture of, you know, teaching childbirth classes, which I love, but how do I get it started? How do I kind of put the word out there? It was all the unknown. It was very scary and intimidating at times, but I just kept doing the next right thing and then the next right thing. So that's just one little example of how my experiences have been parallel. Oh my God. That is so beautiful. I just, I can totally, it gives me just a breath of fresh air. Just that idea of, okay, you don't know what the next 20 things you need to do are, or (laughs) maybe you do like I have my list of things I always have to do, but, but, you know, just starting with the next best thing, like what's the next best thought, what's the next best action, like simplifying it down instead of, you know, you don't know how to take care of a five-year-old yeah, or even a two-month-old when you're first postpartum, like it's just, you just figure, (laughs) keep figuring it out. And same with the business. Like you just have to keep, okay, I guess I'm going to send an email to people. I don't. (laughs) Exactly. Well, and speaking of which I have a little friend that has found me. I apologize. (laughs) He just woke up from his nap. (laughs) Oh, little precious. Let me tell my husband that he's up from his nap. Yeah. Mommy. Mommy, I'm hungry. Okay. It was also very like timely (laughs) for what we were talking about. (laughs) Oh my God. Little ones are just so precious. I love that. It's fun. A lot of work and so much fun. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's interesting. I feel like there's so many, so many of my friends with kids, like they'll decide to get married, start a business you know, have like a huge exhibition and have a baby all in the same like month. Like somehow, like I feel like being pregnant just seems to bring on like huge other huge, massive projects. Like, okay, let's buy a new house and move. And like, you know, things, so many big things of like growth and newness and birthing new projects into life seemed to happen with pregnancy. It's so interesting how I see that happen time and time again. Yeah. That's such an interesting observation. And it's so true. I'm curious how you got into working with postpartum. Like what, 
How did you get interested in the postpartum world? Um, I mean, when I was postpartum, basically when I was in it and then I just kept being fascinated by like, I cannot believe how many topics there are that I need to learn about as a new mom. I can't Mm -hmm. believe how many decisions I have to make every single day. And so therefore I have to learn about this new topic in order to make that decision. And I just had this overwhelming feeling of like, did you know about this? Did y'all know Mm -hmm. about this? Did you you know about this whole thing? Like, it seemed like every week there would just be a new thing because babies grow so fast. They develop so fast. And so I then started a podcast. I had the idea, I should say, Mm -hmm. I had the idea to start a podcast when I was pregnant with my second baby, the one that just Mm -hmm. came to join us a second ago. And I really just wanted to have a podcast to talk about that. Like here are all the things that we have to constantly like, or not constantly, but like are consistently regularly brought up. And it's like, oh, you just figured this thing out. Oh, here's a new thing. Like you just figured out breastfeeding. Great. They're ready to start solid foods. Like what's baby led weaning. Okay, great. You just figured that out. Well, they're going to have their teeth come in. And by the way, you just had that. They just started sleeping through the night and now their teeth came in and they're not doing that anymore. It's like, one thing after another, after another, and I just wanted to talk about that as like a mom in the thick of it. And then I realized as my kids got older, that I still wanted to talk about these topics that weren't necessarily like the season of life they were in, but I still just was so fascinated by birth and the early days of postpartum, as well as like the, the season of life that I am in, which was toddlerhood, preschoolhood, and now early elementary school. And so that's when I decided to become a childbirth educator. And I also defined my podcast as talking about birth, postpartum and parent mental health. Oh, I love that. And I can see, especially in your TikTok and listening to your podcast, like it's just such a rich resource for new parents. And I just, I love that. And I think the importance of mental health is so crucial too. As a postpartum doula, I definitely see you know, new moms just get dropped. Like they, there is not enough support for people in the postpartum time Yeah, for, for the birthing people and the non-birthing people. Like, I think, you know, yeah, that postpartum depression can happen for either partner. And so, yeah, yeah, that's such an interesting factor as well. Is there, yeah, I'd love to thoughts on that? Like how can you support people with their mental health in postpartum? And what do you see being issues that make that worse? Yeah. I think the thing that makes it worse or makes it be a thing is just the giant monumental transformation that people go from when they are people just being people to parents. So like first-time parents, and then the same thing happens with every baby that you bring into the world because you've just changed your life again and the family dynamic because you went from a family of three to a family of four or to a family of five. And so I think that that's, that is the catalyst. And so I think it's also important to talk about the fact that there's this thing called baby blues, which I know that you are familiar with, but it is the majority people who experience baby blues, which is not the same thing as postpartum depression, but it's a giant ride of a roller coaster of hormones. And it can really impact your emotional state and your mental state as well. And so parent mental health affects almost every single person that has a baby or welcomes a new baby into their family. And then some struggle with adjusting a little bit more and it is literally not their fault at all. It is just something that happens. And, you know, the, to answer the first part of your question, how can people be supportive for anyone kind of in that transition or who's particularly struggling with that transition? I think the best way that someone can support them is first and foremost, holding space, Mm -hmm. just acknowledging that, that, that they're going through that and really not trying to jump in and fix things. Because I think that that's something that adults particularly do a lot 
men, I think are culprits of that more often than not, which makes sense because they're not taught to process their emotions at all. And so it's just jump in, fix, you know, jump to task, jump to activity. And also our culture, I think in the United States is about that too. It's like productivity. How do we fix it? How do we move on? How do we problem solve rather just hold space? And that also, I think allows people to listen to the person who's actually going through it instead of jumping in and fixing, but just being like, okay, this is what's going on. And then it gives space for the person who is, who's in it, who is actually being affected every day by these struggles, these mental health challenges to say what they really need or process what they really need and make the ask. And so then I'd say, you know, just make yourself available with boundaries, of course, for yourself Mm -hmm. and the other person, but holding space and and listening. Yeah. It is so transformative just as someone who has had space held for me and held space for others, like just that power of like, just being listened to and someone caring, like, and giving, having that moment to be aware of what you are feeling, like it can transform the feeling, you know, yeah. very quickly, like versus like, if you don't allow that expression to come through and you try to suppress or repress or not, you know, just like, Oh, I'm not going to feel this. Like it just makes it so much worse. But if you it can does. just be in it and not try to solve it necessarily, but just be with it and let somebody be with it with you, yeah. I mean, it can just completely shift things. And so it takes time sometimes, like it doesn't always happen right away, but it can be so profound. Yeah. I agree. That's so cool. I know on your website, you mentioned an interest in recovery as well. Is there anything you want to touch on about that? Cause I feel like that can sometimes that can factor into relationship dynamics. And so, Oh yeah, absolutely. An interesting thing to be aware of too. Yeah. I think most people, most adults are in need of doing some type of recovery work in some form or fashion, because as we go through the world, we get hurt. And sometimes that hurt can result in mental health issues. Sometimes it can result in addictions or maladaptive behaviors that really don't help us. And so doing inner work for yourself to get to the bottom of where did the hurt start from? How have you, did you try to compensate for that? And is the compensation working for you anymore? And if not do some work to stop that kind of behavior, that's not helpful. And so I think it's a pretty broad category, but you know, like I said, I think that most adults could benefit from it. And especially if you are a parent or a soon to be parent, or you're an adult that would like to be a parent someday, ideally you would start that recovery work before you have kids. I did not. And I wish that I did. I don't know if it's necessarily a regret because it was my path and I wouldn't have the same path and I wouldn't have the same experiences if it happened in a different order for me, but it definitely impacted my relationship with my kids. And so I, yeah, I I just, I think that it's important and it's important to start whenever, like Mm -hmm. there's no such thing as too late. I I am in a 12 step program and I see people in there that are in their eighties and their work in a strong program. I also see people in there that are 18 And I think that both are fantastic. Yeah, I love that. That's so powerful and good to remember. Like it's never too late and it's never too early. Yeah, it's interesting thinking about the birth, the process of birth. Like I've heard a lot about astral healing, ancestral trauma, and kind of bringing little ones into the world, it like opens this channel of like ancestral and just, it can, it can bring things through that need to be healed. Like your children kind of shine a light on like what work might be next in line to do. And so, (laughs) so I can see how 
ideally, yeah, maybe with conscious conception, you know, ideally trying to do that work beforehand. But if yeah, sometimes you don't know what the work is until the little ones arrive. That is so true. We're at a really interesting time in life. So we met, I think it was the day after Roe v. Wade was overturned. Yeah. And I was just on fire and just feeling yeah. so upset and distraught. And, you know, now I've kind of had a little, a moment to like, just understand what's going on. But I'm curious, why does this, why does this matter? And what is, how does it affect the postpartum world? And yeah, yeah, I think that, I mean, for me, for me personally, and the work that I do, that's the only place that I'll speak from. And it matters because with what happened in this country in deciding to overturn the precedent that Roe v. Wade has solidified, it takes away human rights from half the population from anyone in this population that has a uterus. And so it dehumanizes us. So now we are less than another people group. And so you bring in, you know, who has dominion over the land and the laws. It brings up supremacy, which this country struggles with and has always since the start of it, since before the start of it. And then for me personally and for birth, you know, this, this work that I am so passionate about and that I work in every day, it really matters because birth is a spectrum, like reproductive health, women's reproductive health is a spectrum. And so, you know, you, you give birth and you don't know if your baby is going to make it or not, you hope and pray and do everything that you can for those that want to carry a pregnancy to full term. But if someone has a baby that is born sleeping, if they have a baby that passes away before they are born, they still give birth. That, that is a true statement. If someone has a baby and the baby only lives for a couple of days, they have given birth. If someone has an early pregnancy loss, that still falls in that spectrum. And so for me, who works in birth every day and who wants to, my goal is to prepare people for giving birth, to have empowering births, if possible, to either try to avoid a traumatizing birth or to get through a traumatizing birth as best as they possibly can, you know, thinking about what's that next right thing. This matters. And the thing that I've had a lot of conversations with people about in the last couple of weeks, the thing that comes up a lot is the misunderstanding or the, just the decided ignorance of people of, of policymakers and lawmakers and, you know, just people in general about the spectrum of what happens during pregnancy and what pregnancy entails, the risks associated with pregnancy, but then also the word abortion and what that actually means. And there is this, I think there's this like vilified version of the word abortion. And it paints this picture of a careless, greedy, heartless, selfish person. And that is the, you know, the, the villainized version of this word for some people, for the people that chose to make this decision for those five Supreme court justices, they have participated in creating a narrative that is villainizing the word abortion, but the word abortion really is, goes in line with healthcare. It's Mm. like a type of procedure. And so, for example, I personally know women who have had early pregnancy losses and we can call that a miscarriage. I mean, there's different terminology for lots of things, a loss of pregnancy, miscarriage. And for some women that I have known that have experienced a miscarriage, when a baby or a fetus, whatever verbiage you choose to use, when they pass away in the womb, they're they are hooked up to a placenta. They might, it depends on how far along they are gestationally, but 
they have their umbilical cord or the formation of that, that is attached to the placenta. That is where a baby or a fetus gets their nutrients from. And the placenta is attached to the inside of a uterus. And so when a baby or a fetus passes away, all of that has to come away from the uterus. The placenta has to detach and all of that, all of those cells, every part of that, that's what's known as the pregnancy has to come away and has to be expelled. So it just like in birth, if, if you have a live birth, a full term baby, that's happy and healthy. And the placenta is there's part of the placenta is retained. And some of those cells are still attached to the uterus. They have to come away either by a doctor manually going in and, you know, retracting that or surgically, a, a, a person could actually have surgery to, to resolve a retained placenta because if it is left, it can cause infection. A, a birthing person or a woman could become septic because of this and it's life-threatening. So it doesn't matter if she is giving a baby or they are giving, having a baby at 42 weeks or having a miscarriage at six weeks. It doesn't matter. The same risk is there as far as having cells from a pregnancy retained in a uterus. And so if someone were to have a miscarriage, which I know people personally that have had this happen, they have a miscarriage and the miscarriage didn't naturally, everything didn't naturally come away. They needed to have a DNC, which is a type of procedure. It's dilation and curtage. I think that's how it's pronounced. I'm, I'm not great at saying that word, to be honest, but DNC for short. And basically they're dilating the cervix and they are manually removing or surgically removing the remaining cells of the pregnancy so that that person's life can not be in jeopardy. And so some people actually choose to have a DNC when they find out that they've had a miscarriage rather than wait to have the, the pregnancy come away naturally. That's their choice. It could be, it could be because of risk of infection. It could be because of the emotional toll, you know, imagine like being so excited, you find out that you're pregnant and then having the devastating loss of finding out that the baby has passed away. And then it can take weeks. It can take weeks and weeks for the rest of the pregnancy to, to pass along. And so being pregnant. And it also is very uncomfortable and can be painful. Imagine going through pain, emotional pain for weeks and weeks. Some people choose to schedule a DNC to have the pregnancy removed so that they can start the recovery process, recovering emotionally, recovering physically. And it, that is part of the spectrum of healthcare mm -hmm. for people that have a uterus. And so why abortion matters, why Roe v. Wade, the decision to overturn Roe v. Wade and to limit access to abortion care to reproductive health care is because it's going to impact not just this created narrative villainized version of the person that you imagine having an abortion, but it also impacts people that have complications that absolutely mm -hmm. happen and they happen way more than people realize. Oh, so common. Yeah. And everything in between. And so to me, mm -hmm. that's why it matters because women and anybody with a uterus deserves to have healthcare, the best healthcare that they possibly could have. Yeah. Oh my God. Thank you. And I think, yeah, it's just, there's this idea that being pregnant is like a neutral state and it's not, mm. it's like, it's a huge risk to a woman's body to be yes. pregnant, to give birth, especially in this country, we have horrendous rates of maternal mortality. Like, yeah, it is not a safe, you know, it's not necessarily like, it's not it's a safe not, place to give not, birth. Yeah. It's not a safe space to, yeah be a birthing person especially in the developed world it's just baffling to me how how horrendous those rates are in the U.S. and you know it's worse for black and brown it is birthing people and infants and it's it's really I think needs to be evaluated and 
yeah. addressed in, yeah. in so many different levels. You know, there's just, yeah, we were already struggling and particularly people of color were already struggling at disproportionate rates to mm-hmm. white women or white people with uteruses. And now it's going to be exacerbated. Mm-hmm. And we were already doing so much work. And now the workload has just quadrupled. It's, it's gone up tenfold. I mean, it's mm-hmm. some days it feels insurmountable, honestly. That's how I yeah. feel about it. Yeah. I'm just trying to like do little things like, okay, what can I do that's will be helpful? Because I, for me, I know I was like waking up and listening to the news and then scrolling Instagram, just doom scrolling and like, yes, just getting into a dark place. And I'm like, okay, that fear mentality is not helping me or anyone else. And so I have to like, remember to shift into like a space of love and hope and yes, resilience and doing, you know, just the next best little thing. Like, okay, can I just donate to Colorado doula project, you know, or an abortion fund or volunteer or talk to someone about this, you know? Yeah, absolutely. There's lots of little actions that we can take. Yeah. And I am glad that you brought it back to, you know, taking the next right step, finding the next right, you know, the next best thing for you to do, because that to me is always going to be personal. It's Mm -hmm. what is the next best thing for me to do? Mm -hmm. And that is going to be different than what is the next best thing for Sarah to do. And Mm -hmm. so I start to get into a negative headspace when I think about what is the global thing that I should be doing you know, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. because then I get scared and stuck and I feel paralyzed because I don't know what that is. And that's because in my opinion, that doesn't exist. And so for me, it changes moment to moment. If I have been doom scrolling on Instagram or TikTok, and I just feel this feeling of like unsettled discontent in my torso, then the next best thing for me to do is to put my phone away and take a walk or go get a glass of water. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I judge myself for it about like, well, we've got to do something. We've got to take action. We need to constantly be doing something. And that's not true. And so sometimes the next best thing for me to do is just to pause and just give myself grace and say, I can't be fighting the good fight every single second of every day. That is not possible. And that's not a good idea. And like you said, going back to love, like starting with myself, giving myself grace, acting with self-compassion towards myself and, and just kind of going from there, that is usually the next best thing I can do when I find myself particularly in a negative headspace. Yeah. Thank you. That's such a good reminder. Cause yeah, I'm like, Oh, I need to do something out in the world. And it's like, no, sometimes I just need to like meditate, do some breath work, take a bath, take a flower essence, like go for a walk. Like I need to yeah. do, I need to take care of me Yeah, and then I can, yeah, look outside of myself. So yeah, great reminder. I'm curious, just thoughts on a struggle that you have overcome or that has helped to define your path. I think since I just mentioned it, it's top of mind, but having self-compassion for myself and and really just starting with self-compassion, which I've learned is different from self-love. And for most of my life until I was 33 years old, I did not find it to be noble or admirable to have self-compassion for myself or to even like myself. Like I, I just thought that was a selfish thing to do. And so I didn't do that. And my internal dialogue spoke that way. I, I thought like, well, of course I'll be kind and nice and compassionate toward everybody else, but I need to be cracking the whip internally to, mm. to keep going and keep moving. And I had a big awakening during 2020, like I think a lot of people did, but for me, that sent me to my bottom. And the first thing I realized, like on the way down, I started hearing the the phrase or term self-compassion all the time. Everything I read, everything I watched, 
like it just was like this word was this phrase was coming at me and so then when i finally reached the bottom i realized like oh that was on purpose i'm supposed to chase after this and so it was a struggle for me it was a struggle before i knew it was a struggle mm-hmm. like just living like that and having a such a hard mean uncaring cruel even dialogue inside my head going on regularly that was a struggle and then deciding to do something differently or like like choose to find out about self-compassion that was a struggle because it felt Mm. weird and wrong and just cringy so cringy and I just kept taking the next right step and kept, you know, taking another step and walking toward it and being curious about like, what would this look like? And then not judging myself, not like compounding of like, oh no, I said, you know, negative, I had negative self-talk. Oh no, I'm so crappy. Like, no. Okay. I had negative self-talk. I acknowledge that. Maybe I could do a redo. What could I say instead? that would be a little bit kinder, a little bit more compassionate. And then the thing that I also realized after walking through that, going down that path, what I realized was that it was, it was hard, but it was worth it because I could not, I was living a lie for a long time. I could not be any more compassionate to anybody else truly than I was with myself. So if I really wanted to be kind and nice and compassionate towards other people, I had to start with myself and practice with myself because what I thought was giving and serving and loving others was really just running myself ragged and creating a whole bunch of resentments internally about others. Yeah, I know it's, I've been like kind of playing with this idea of the inner child lately and just, Yeah. yeah, trying to see like, okay, what is like, what can I do to honor myself and be kind to myself because that negative self-talk can really take you down a dark road oh yeah and I didn't even know that I was on that road I just that was my mo yeah forever yeah what how did you how did that come into your awareness like how did you realize that it was even something to question or take note of truly the universe just kept putting it in my, in my, in my court. They just kept uh-huh. like throwing the ball over in my court. Like <laughs> everything I would read had self-compassion uh-huh. in it. Everything I would watch had self-compassion in it. And it was like, I even, I just thought it was annoying. I was like, mm-hmm. what is up with 2020 and self-compassion? Like, <laughs> why is this trending? This is weird. Like that was truly my thought. And then it just kept happening over and over. And I was like, oh, crap, I guess maybe I should like look into this a little bit and think about it. So it was, it was a weird thing. I, I would just say it's like, a, it was a weird non-coincidental, but seemingly coincidental set of events. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I feel like that, that tends to happen. Like when you need a plant, it'll just appear next yeah. to you when you need a book it just keeps appearing and everyone keeps talking about it and yeah it's like oh okay maybe I'll the 17th time maybe I'll pay attention <laughs> exactly yeah I love that I'm curious if you have any routines or rituals that help you to feel supported yeah this is a great segue into that because when I did all of that work and got curious about that and then also started my recovery journey for the work that I had to do, I did develop a routine that I have done regularly, but then sometimes off and on kind of go through seasons of where I do it every day. And then sometimes kind of when I get out of that habit, then it kind of falls away and comes back. But the routine that I do is I call it my like devotional time, but it's really starting with reading a quick devotional then reading from the 12 step book that I have, which is the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And then my, my personal book for recovery, which is life with hope. And then I do a gratitude list of like writing a full page of anything that I'm grateful for. And then I meditate for two or three minutes because at this point, that's all I can do. And if I try to do more, I won't do it. (laughs) And so I do it in that order. And it takes me like eight to 10 minutes to do all of those things. 
And I try to do it in the morning because I find that it really grounds me, but I also haven't been perfect with it. And I think that's the whole point. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I, I do. I love writing. I have like a little checklist for myself of like daily habits. I'm like, read, write, meditate. Like those are kind of like my things. If I can just like do a page of just like free writing, read something that's like, you know, inspirational or supportive and meditate like, yeah, similarly. Yeah. It's so helpful. I'm curious as I'm realizing like we're both birth workers and content creators. And so it's like, it's so interesting. How do you, do you have any habits for creating content or ways of like, like I don't do any batching, but I love the idea of it. I know people are like, you got a batch and like how you do that. But yeah, any ways that you kind of manage those parts of your business and your life? Yeah, I do batch. I am a batcher. I didn't used to be, but particularly for my podcast, because hosting a podcast, producing a podcast, doing all of it, as you know, is a lot of work. And I found that it became unmanageable when I did not batch. And so I have started that process of, you know, recording kind of whenever things came up for people, but then, cause that was the part you can't control, but I, what I could control and manage is sitting down and having a day when I would edit and then having a day when I would do show notes and just kind of getting ahead of the game. So then I would have the free time to schedule the recordings whenever. And then for creating content on TikTok or Instagram or blogs that I want to write, any any of those kind of content creation pieces. Sometimes I do the batching thing and sometimes I don't. Sometimes it's like, you know what? I don't energy to put into like a three or four hour session of batching. And so the next right thing for me is to just make one video today. Like what's one video that I could make and then post it at that, you know, kind of optimal time. And I guess that's another thing that I've done that has set me up for success or like to be better off, I would say rather than success is to learn about optimizing things. Like what are the things that make the most difference? Mm -hmm. And this has been my whole story with getting on TikTok. Like Mm -hmm. I realized begrudgingly, honestly, that like Mm -hmm. being on that platform was going to make the biggest difference for me Mm -hmm. and the people that I am hoping to to talk to and help and impact. And so then I also in my free time or my, I guess, intentional time when I really want to like learn things or watch YouTube videos or read articles, I learn about how can I kind of streamline the process or what really matters. And so like, I know now that there are optimal times for me to post to TikTok or Instagram. And so I don't bother posting at other times. Like if I make content that I know it's not about, okay, I'm not going to post it now. I'm going to wait until 7.30 at night, my time. So those are just kind of like little hack type things, mm-hmm. but, but overall, like figuring out what is the most efficient way to spend my time and then figuring out the process that works for me in that season. Beautiful. I love that. Yeah. I think I'm going to have to take your TikTok course because <laughs> I got on TikTok, but I've only posted a couple of videos and I'm like, it's hard to consistency is a challenge for me. So Yeah. It's that's the thing that really does make a difference. And so mm-hmm. that's why a lot of I've I've seen a lot of advice and other courses out there, and they'll just say, like, post three to five times a day. And I'm yeah. like, sure, that can work for some people, but if you post <laughs> three to five times a day for two weeks and then never post again for like two more months, that's not gonna help you. And so that's yeah. why I say in mine, I'm like, how often should you post is how often you can post mm-hmm. and consistently. So mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I would love to have you. And we actually (laughs) started a monthly discussion like Mm -hmm. on zoom with anybody that's like taking Mm -hmm. that, you know, is taking the course or has taken the course to kind of just check in and see like, how's it going? And folks ask me questions, but it's also, it was fun because it was a bunch of birth workers. And we were talking about the intersection of what we have been talking about this time, this whole, or almost this entire podcast episode of like the intersection between the two, how it's interesting. And it's, for me, it's very comforting because I do research about TikTok for people that are in any niche. And I'm like, that doesn't resonate with me. You do car videos about, Mm -hmm. you know, like sports cars, like that doesn't resonate with me, but to, to have the conversation about like heart centered content creation. I'm like, yeah, 
That's so nice. And, and things that are like informative and interesting. Like I love your videos. They're just like these perfect little like morsels of information that are fun to watch. So yeah, Thank fantastic you. job with that. So I have a couple bonus questions. Is that okay to absolutely ask those? Okay. So yeah. number one, who is someone inspiring you right now and why? My answer is always this. It's been the same for this for years, but I'm consistent. So it's Brene Brown. She's my favorite grown up. That's what I call yeah. her. Yeah. I call myself the president of her fan club. <laughs> Self-imposed. Yeah. She's um, fantastic. She's just she's just such a good grown up. Like she's a role model. She is very good at adulting and talks about how hard it is and is very transparent about it. And then she'll talk about, you know, ways that she kind of overcomes the difficult. And I pretty much just love like basically everything she says. Yeah. So. You know, anytime I read one of her books, I'm basically just like constantly like screenshot. I'm like, remember this forever. Remember I know. This <laughs> yeah. The whole book is just highlighted. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm like taking notes, photographing. Like I'm just like, yeah. I can't, I have to remember every page. Yeah. Uh, I love that. Best advice you've gotten recently? It was not super recently. It was probably a year ago, but it's been one of my favorite pieces of advice that I've heard in a very long time. And I got it from a recovery program. I think it's a saying from AA and it's, it's none of your business, what other people think of you. Yeah. That was very freeing for me. Yeah. That's helpful. That is really good. Especially as a content creator. Yeah. Yes. And as a mom. <laughs> oh gosh. Yes. That's brilliant. Thank you. Yeah. What is something you are proud of? I am proud of doing all of the recovery work that I have done and then continuing to do it even when I don't want to. And even when I whine and say like, but I've already done so much work. I shouldn't have to do any more. And then I like get my complaint out and I breathe And then I continue to do the work. I'm proud of that. That's awesome. Yeah. I would have thought it was like all of the incredible, beautiful content you make, but I feel like I can see how the recovery work has made that possible. And yes, you know, doing your gratitude list and kind of refocusing your energy on things that are productive and helpful for other people. Yeah. That's a hundred percent the truth. That's cool. Thank you. What is something you're most excited about for the year? It's actually this week. I've been waiting for this for a while. I'm going on Wednesday in two days. I'm going to the Postpartum Support International Conference. I'm on the board for the Georgia chapter. Oh yeah. I'm like very excited about this conference. It's in New Orleans. I get a little bit of a vacation from like mom duty and get to talk about all of this stuff that I love talking about and get to hang out with some of the board members that I've gotten to know over the last year and have really formed close relationships with. So I'm very excited for this week. Oh, that's fantastic. Wow. I'm, I'm going to have to look into that conference. Is it in different places every year? I think it is. This is yeah the first year I'm going. So yeah. Oh my God. And I love New Orleans. That's going to be such a blast. What a cool opportunity. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. And any favorite resources you think listeners should know of? That is a hard one. That's like asking which child is my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) And if I can just pinpoint one, not choose Mm -hmm. one, but just highlight one for today. I'm very biased, but birthing from within. Mm. I think that is a hidden gem in like birth preparation. A lot of people have heard of hypnobirthing, which is fantastic. And it's also not for everyone. Mm. I love birthing from within because it has a little bit of something for everyone. It's Mm. a little bit crunchy. It's a little bit mainstream. It, it also that my favorite, one of my favorite things about it is that it is birth preparation that is not outcome-based. So it's not saying like, this is for people who want to have an unmedicated childbirth. This is not for people that, you know, are definitely going to get an epidural. It's, it's all about embracing the unknown. Like Mm. we don't know how it's going to go. If you want to make a birth plan, great. If that's not your bag, that's fine. What are you going to do when you bump up against the unknown, no matter what 
preparation you have in fact done. It just kind of gets to the heart of it. So that's, that is my favorite resource. It's there's the book birthing from within by Pam England, and then just the website as well, birthing from within. And there's either like trainings for current birth workers, or there are actual birth classes that you can find an educator for, for parents. So. Hmm. Yeah. I keep hearing that kind of circling back numerous times too. I was just talking to a mom recently and she said that that course for her and her partner was so helpful because it helped him be there for her in a way that he never would have with otherwise. And so that was, I was like, oh, okay. I'm going to have to put a pin in that and remember that, (laughs) take that course at some point. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Well, Amanda, it's been so wonderful chatting with you. Um, Any last lingering thoughts and how can people support your work and connect with you and find you? Thank you. I think we have covered everything. I have no last lingering thoughts. And if anybody is interested in kind of following the work I do or seeing kind of where I show up in the, into, in the, the interwebs, I am both at TikTok and Instagram at finding your village. And then that's also my website, findingyourvillage.com. I have resources for parents. I have self-paced birth class and postpartum class. And then for birth workers, I have some more like marketing related things right now and some other cool ideas that are in the works. And your podcast is wonderful too. And your blog. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. Finding your village. I love that Thank phrase you. too. It's so beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Community is so crucial for that. Just, I think for birth workers and for people in postpartum in the perinatal world, like finding your people that can support you through that time is so crucial. Yeah. I totally agree. Oh my gosh. Well, yes, my pleasure. Amanda was so uh, wonderful to get to connect with you and I look forward to continuing to know you in the future. So thanks for making this time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed this episode. A big thanks to Amanda for making time for this conversation. And I'm going to be a guest on her podcast uh, coming up. So be sure to check that out. You can find her on Instagram, TikTok, her website, and her podcast. It's all Finding Your Village with Amanda Gorman and yeah oh also big thanks to Aaron Travers for the show music for this episode and thank you for being here and for being wonderful uh, I look forward to connecting with you again if you want to join my waitlist for my upcoming class that is going to be so much fun that is at www.adazia.com I hope you're well and may our efforts benefit all beings. Take care. Toodaloo.